Matthew chapter 20 is a continuation of what began in Matthew chapter 19. A rich man has come up to Jesus, asking what he must do to have eternal life. Jesus replies that the one thing he lacks is that full-hearted devotion to Jesus. Only after selling all that he has and following Jesus will he have treasures in heaven. The rich man leaves disappointed and unable to commit to what Jesus requires, which prompts a discussion on how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, anyone who tries to enter in on their own merits, rich or poor, is going to find it to be impossible. So this prompts Peter and the disciples to wonder what their reward will be, seeing as they've left everything to follow Jesus. The apostles themselves will receive a unique reward according to Matthew 19.28. But then Jesus makes a broader statement, saying in verse 29, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. This is not a command that we should treat our relationship with Jesus like an investment where we tithe and then God gives more money in return. He's simply stating that anyone who leaves behind the old life is going to find themselves surrounded by the blessings of the new life. If my faith leads me to being disowned by my family, being kicked out from the house, I now have my brothers and sisters in Christ who can take me in. We receive the blessings of Christ's community here and the inheritance of eternal life later. The way of selfless sacrifice is the way of glory. But before the disciples or we start to feel too proud ourselves and all the sacrifice that we make on behalf of Jesus, he says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, Many who are first will be last, and the last first. And thus begins the parable of the vineyard owner, which teaches that rewards in the kingdom aren't given in exchange for a pile of good works, but as a matter of grace. The parable goes that we have this vineyard owner, and he goes out to find some laborers to work his field. He finds some early in the day, and he hires them for a day's wage. Later in the day, though, he goes out and finds more workers, and he decides he's going to give them the same deal. He goes out much later in the day, the 11th hour, we're told, and he still finds men looking for work, and so he invites them into work. So you have some who have worked a full day, some half a day, and some hardly a day at all. And when it comes to pay everyone, the landowner begins with those who hardly worked at all, and he gives them a full day's pay. Those who had worked all day, they begin to get a little excited, and they expect a greater reward because they worked more. But in the end, they receive the same amount, a full day's pay. They become bitter at this, and when they complain, the landowner tells them in verses 13 through 16, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. The rewards of the kingdom are not distributed by merit. They're graciously given as a gift for anyone who labors in God's vineyard. No matter how late in life you find Christ, no matter how little you feel like you offer, the full reward of heaven is given to all who follow Jesus. After this, we have Jesus' third passion prediction. At verse 18, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus is set on his sacrifice, but his disciples are thinking of something else. In verses 20 through 21, we have a mother's request. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, came up to him with her sons, 
and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Mark tells the same story in a way that shows that James and John are just as eager as their mother to ask Jesus of this favor. And in verse 24, when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. The other disciples are indignant not because they see how arrogant of a request James and John are making. They're indignant because they wanted to sit on the right and left. And so Jesus uses this to teach about what true greatness in the kingdom looks like. Jesus asks if they're able to drink his cup. Now, this isn't the cup of Psalm 23 that overflows with blessings. It's the cup that Jesus asks to be taken away from him. It's the cup of his death. Jesus tells them that they are going to indeed drink from this cup. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, we do see that James is martyred when killed by Herod. John's cup seems to be quite a bit different. We're told in early Christian tradition that he outlived all the other apostles and lived in exile. If there's any truth to that, then his cup was to see the persecution of the church and to stand by powerless to stop it. All of us stand to suffer something for following Christ, but we might end up suffering in very different ways. But it will be suffering nonetheless. Jesus says that the positions of sitting on his right or left have been given to those for whom it has been prepared for by God. The disciples don't understand that those positions have likely been filled by the men who were crucified alongside Jesus. That is Christ's glory. So again, we learn from Jesus that the only way to glory is through sacrifice and suffering. And this is in direct contrast with the glory that the world has in mind. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom is not about exalting ourselves over other. It's not about being higher in status. It's about being the lowest. It's about learning how to serve others in humility. Jesus could have come down with a fanfare and trumpets, but instead he came as a lowly and rejected servant who washed feet and gave himself on the cross. But as a result, we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9-11, through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 